Welcome to R. Jackson Home, the podcast. Uh, I am joined on the mic today by a co-host. This is her second podcast. The first one was about the magazine when it came out. It is, and I'm not sure what your official title is with R. Jackson Home, Katie, but <laughs> Katie Howerton is joining me hosting today. Katie, welcome to your first time being on this side of the microphone. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and the reason Katie's joining us today is because we have some very special guests that she's close with and we'll be helping guide the interview. Uh, and Katie, would you like to introduce them? Yeah, so um, I'm a member of City Fellowship Baptist Church here in Jackson and I've been going there for about five years now. I've learned a lot about the city and um, a lot about what it could become through my pastors and I wanted to introduce them to you guys today. So. Um, our head pastor at City is Russ Flaster, and we're glad to have you, Russ. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And then our other elder, Matt Marshall, who works at Union as well. So I'm yeah. excited to have them. Thanks for having us today. Yeah. Um, so as we get started, if you guys could just give a quick introduction of yourselves, what you do on a daily basis, and how you got to Jackson. Sure. Um, I uh, came to Jackson to go to school at, at Union 25 years ago um, and didn't have plans to stay. I have some uh, family uh, connections in Lexington area, but I didn't know a soul at Union. And I would like to say I came for very spiritual reasons and I looked you know, long and hard <laughs> into where God would have me be you know, for college. But honestly, my parents made a list of schools that were options and I picked one that was farthest from the house. <laughs> that was the entirety of my uh, uh, thought process. And, uh, but thank God I met a, a godly woman uh, there, my wife Heather, and um, both of us were in education. We, uh, like I say, didn't have designs to stay in Jackson after we were done, but we both got jobs. Um, Heather at Alexander Elementary, myself at uh, Jackson Central Mary High School. And uh, that uh, experience over the next um, 15, I taught for 15 years in the school system, was probably the biggest part of what the Lord used to, um, to, to bring me to himself. You know, so uh, I was not very interested in the things of God when I started teaching there. Um, wasn't surely, surely, you know, trying to find a, a school that was diverse or, you know, had educational injustice issues or anything like that. It was just the jobs that we got, you know, out of school. Um, but over the next 15 years, God used that uh, to really change both of us. And, you know, in the school system, if you're involved with the school system, probably in any city, I can't speak for anywhere other than here, you know, that's where you, you kind of turn the rock over uh, of a town and you can kind of see what's really underneath, you know, uh, regardless of what it looks like on top. So um, that's where a lot of the uh, kind of systemic uh, and systematic um, injustices kind of started that in you know, at least in the education became clear to us, but also an area of poverty and that sort of thing. My wife being an uh, ed educator at the elementary level, those students would end up in my classes as a high school teacher. And so I'd see this, you know, kind of uh, uh, cycle starting to play itself out. And I started keeping a notebook of some of my students that had um, gotten into trouble for this, that, or the other. And that notebook was getting bigger and bigger. Coupled with that, uh, the fact that when I started teaching at JCM, um, it was a very diverse school, um, and really all fronts, and 
you know, I don't want to get into Matt's story, but he was there and he can attest to this. I mean, it was racially diverse, um, economically. Uh, we had, uh, you know, our fair share of troubles, certainly, but uh, the academic decathlon team was, you know, going to state every year. The football team was big, big, huge band, uh, all that. And over the course of 15 years, um, JCM went from that to 1968 levels of uh, uh, diversity. So uh, became when I when um, and 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 that process I just kind of watched happen. And that's something that in Jackson as a Jackson issue, you know, it's on display there. You know, uh, the resegregation of uh, schools in 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 Jackson Jackson is something I witnessed there. That was a big part of what the Lord used to call me into the ministry. You know, I had no designs on being a minister. I uh, didn't go to school for that. And uh, the people that I did go to school with, when they found out about it later, you know, have to laugh that. You know, they got to laugh themselves down a little bit before they uh, take that seriously that I've actually gone into the ministry. But, uh, but the Lord used that to really change my life, you know, a lot. Um, so that's what brings us here and keeps us here. And, and I just find it a, a kind of really infinitely interesting ministry environment um, that I think a lot of people fail to see um, because it's not a big city or it's not, yeah. you know, um, uh, as sexy as other places that, I mean, I can use that for ministry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can talk about yeah, sex, it's not sexy ministry. It's not, we know yeah. it's not natural. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so anyway, yeah. that's the, I guess yeah. it was a little bit longer version. but And that's okay. And you mentioned your wife. Do you have any yes, children? And I do. Uh, um, I have a daughter, Natalie, who just started at Union actually this year. And um, uh, my son, Isaac, is uh, at uh, Liberty Tech. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's a freshman this year. So. And Oh, and go ahead. No. No, that's good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And Matt, yeah. you guys... If I'm, and Katie told me that he was your art teacher at one point. Right. Yeah. So, I was born in Jackson, um, and so um, I, my mom is uh, Hispanic and my dad is uh, African American, and so uh, my mom is from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and so she moved uh, to Jackson um, in the late '70s. Um, and uh, she and my dad got married, and I have some other brothers and sisters. I was. Uh, kind of like a middle child, sort of. But um, I was born here in Jackson uh, into a diverse household, and I was always taught to be, you know, very um, thankful for that. And uh, but as you can imagine, um, growing up in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, mm-hmm. Jackson in the in the '80s was not, you know, necessarily the most diverse place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you were typically either, you know, black or white. Um, and so. You know, I remember the very first um, Hispanic or Latino um, kid to ever come um, into one of my classes or to, that I ever kind of, you know, um, interacted with. And that was, um, by and large, well, at least here in Jackson, uh, that was uh, in seventh grade when I was in seventh grade. Um, or I was in sixth grade and he was in seventh grade. Um, and he and I went to school through um, the rest of school together and he went to JCM as well. And uh, but. Yeah, so I was kind of born here. My parents split, unfortunately, when I was young. I was only about three or four when they split, and uh, they got a divorce, uh, and my mom ended up moving to California. So often I would spend my summers in California and spend my time in school here in Jackson. And so, you know, two different, two very different worlds. Uh, And so, um, you know, I always knew that there was, 
you know, to a certain degree, uh, as much as I loved Jackson, I always knew that there was more than Jackson. Um, and so I kind of grew up in a world like that. Um, but, uh, you know, went to elementary school here, went to middle school here, and then went to high school at JCM, uh, where I actually met Russ my freshman year, I think it was, uh, in art class, art one, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it was. And uh, I remember that was the very first time I ever uh, saw the movie, uh, the uh the agony and the ecstasy, you remember that? <laughs> uh, and uh, Charlton Heston yeah. uh, playing Michelangelo. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I, I remember that year fairly well. Um, and, you know, Russ had hair back then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was right. a bit different. But, um, but yeah, I think I probably was, you know, maybe about 15 years old at the time or something like that. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of, as, as he was... Uh, making mention of, you know, JCM back then was a very different place. And, you know, if you really talk to anyone, you know, my age or a little older um, who experienced JCM at that time, you know, that's probably what they would tell you. Um, JCM was a very different place back then. Um, As he made mention of, it's, excuse me, a very diverse school, um, not only ethnically, but also uh, socioeconomically. Um, And so you had back then um, families who, you know, they lived on the north part of town um, who, you know, maybe they had gone to JCM as parent. the parents had gone to JCM um, in its early years, um, in the late or uh, early 70s. Uh, JCM was integrated uh, in 1971-72 around that period of time. So my father actually graduated in the second integrated class okay. of JCM uh, in 72. I believe they integrated in 71. And so there was a class of 71, then class of 72 that my, my father came out of. And then I actually graduated in the second to last, what I would call integrated class mm-hmm. um, in 2002. And so mm-hmm. JCM split, uh, you ended up with JCM and then Madison after the 2003 year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's what we still have basically to this day. You know, we, we all know that JCM is going to kind of be very different uh, beginning with Vision 2020 for next year. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was a, a school that in a lot of ways, you know, I felt like it's, it was kind of a school everybody wanted to be at. Of course, you know, you had Northside and JCM, and so my people out there listening, I, I appreciate both those schools. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Southside yeah. <laughs> South and Northside, right. right. Uh, sorry. But, um, but, like, you know, JCM was the largest school in the area. Um, as Russ may mention, we had a great athletic program. I was on the academic decathlon team, actually, and not only would we go to state, we typically, the year I was on it, on the team, my uh, senior year, we actually were the six-time state champions that year, and then went on to nationals um, every year, typically, you know, as well. So it it had great academics, had great athletics. It was overall just a really good school. Um, And so I was a product of that. I, w- I then went on uh, uh, to go to Union, where I played soccer my, my first year, mm-hmm. um, and then actually transferred out and moved to Arizona. Okay. Um, and so, you know, Russ has kind of talked about how, you know, he was kind of the last person you'd expect to be a pastor. I kind of fit into that boat as well. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing about my life that would have really uh, attested to the fact that I would later go on to, to, to uh, be a preacher of the word or any of those type of things. And so... I moved out to Arizona, and oddly enough, it was there that I, you know, actually, um, you know, met the Lord, and uh, shortly thereafter came back to Jackson, uh, somewhat against my will, uh, but, um, you know, came back and finished at Union, and now I've been working at Union for uh, seven years, 
and I have a wife, Rachel, who is uh, much uh, better than I deserve. Uh, you know, so I'm the lucky one there. And uh, we have three kids, um, uh, Ariana, Nora, and Elias. Uh, my oldest is five, she'll be six soon, and uh, Nora's four, and Elias is two. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was all, you know, kind of, that's part of my story. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, when Russ and I met, and we'll probably get into this in a minute, but when Russ and I met, you know, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, let's, let's save that for the second yeah, segment. Definitely. Yeah. So from our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson. Jackson home with Russ Foster and Matthew Marshall. Um, so Russ, I wanted to ask you about kind of how the dream for City Fellowship began and when that seed was planted in you and sure. where it rolled from there. Yeah, I think uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, it really uh, started to become very apparent to me that a lot of uh, Jackson's issues were race related and how much that, w the more, you know, I talk about the turning over of the stone and you kind of see what's underneath, you know. Jackson is a very um, uh, pol um, politely separated town racially, you know what I'm saying? There's, you, there's other places you could go in the country that are maybe a little more volatile racially and maybe a little bit more out, uh, out front, you know, with some of the racial tension. Uh, but I've really not seen too many places that are more um, settledly, sat you know, everybody's fine with being kind of separated. You know, we meet at Walmart and that's about it, you know, yeah. um, as far as uh, that goes. So I just started to see how much um, that was a, f a big foothold that, um, that, you know, from my perspective, the devil had had in this town for a long time and how... how um, um, how significant it was in Jackson in particular. At the same time, I started to um, read about uh, the, the beginnings of the church in, um, in, in Acts 2 and, and, and through some, uh, some books and some helps from people that were really kind of influential at the right time. I, um, you know, if you, if you look at the formation of the church, it's just remarkably multi-ethnic. Uh, and it seems to be a uh, driving factor of, uh, in, in fact, the first miracle of Pentecost could be called a, you know, a multicultural miracle. You know, uh, the first church council is over uh, ethnicity and whether uh, the Gentiles are uh, to be included. Um, uh, the first church fights uh, when Paul confronts Peter. You know, what I'm saying all that. It's not only something that um, Jesus. Uh, indicates not only in his pastoral prayer for his people to be one, but also to go uh, uh, into all nations. And that word nations means is where we get the word ethnic. It's ethnos. It's not uh, necessarily countries. It's people groups. And we've generally tended to think of, you know, kind of the world and, well, we should. But we tend to not think about that in regards to our own uh, surroundings mm -hmm. and how we there's a calling that Jesus makes in our lives for his gospel, I mean, this is the nature of it, to be, to cross the lines, as Ephesians said, bring down those walls that separate, you know, folks that used to be separated. Um, that nature of the, uh, the multi-ethnic church, Paul fought for, uh, Peter fought for, Jesus uh, kind of in, inaugurated and expected. And he said, as Jesus said, you know, that this is how they'll know that I came from the Father, was that you are one that you Christians are one and cross those lines. 
So to me, it, it, you know, these two things being together, you know, that Jesus intended for the church to be, uh, and, and Paul kind of tried to put together churches that were multi-ethnic because that was a part of declaring the gospel. And it was clear to me that was what was affecting Jackson um, was addressed by a multi-ethnic church. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the least place that's integrated often, and this is not just in Jackson, but uh, certainly uh, in Jackson is, is the church. Mm -hmm. And very settledly so, just like everywhere else. You know, it's like... Nobody's upset about it. Nobody's trying to do, you know, I mean, the, the thing that kind of uh, strikes me about that is the same philosophy reigns in the church that reigns in uh, secular biology. You know, birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The rule of nature versus the rule of the mm -hmm. supernature, I guess. And, and, and we are natural people, but we're also supernatural people. So it's understandable why people would... Uh, congregate and, and like of kind, you yeah. know, socioeconomic and, and ethnically and, and culturally. That makes a lot of sense. But when you read the Gospels with those glasses on, you know, uh, where suddenly you see it everywhere that that the church is the place. In fact, in um, uh, Antioch is the first place they're called Christians, where it's very specifically laid out that they're, this is a multi-ethnic expression. They didn't have a word for it. So they started calling, they're like Jesus, you know, they're Christians there, you know what I mean? So there's not only something that addresses, that, that proclaims the gospel in a multi-ethnic church, it's also something that heals the divides, you know, uh, um, and gives, a, and, and gives a, a picture that those divides can be healed in, in the gospel. And so as I became more and more convinced that really the only thing that was going to address the issues that I was Seeing, and when I say in the school system, I'm not talking about a poor school system. I'm not talking about kids that were in trouble, although those things, you know, were debatable and I'm not saying they weren't happening. But I'm talking about a town that creates the system that I was seeing happening over and over again in that school system. You see what I'm saying? Uh, what addresses that issue is the gospel. And I uh, became more and more convinced that for, the, for a church standpoint, you know, that's something that we needed to commit ourselves to, is to trying to um, walk, in my opinion, in obedience to the model that is given to us by Jesus, Paul, John, uh, if, even in Revelation, you know, the kind of end goal of the church with everyone standing around the, the throne, all ethnicities, all, you know, creeds, all languages, you know singing praises to the Lord. So you've got this vision, yeah. you're starting this church, mm -hmm. and then somehow Matt comes into the picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how did that happen? Help me, help me see that. Yeah, so I was, uh, at the time, uh, about to graduate from Union. Um, so you came back to Union? Yeah, I came back to Union okay. from, uh, I lived in Arizona, came back uh, after a couple of years living there, and I decided to finish up school at Union. Um, and when I came back, uh, I decided to do, uh, change my major to Christian studies, um, specifically to Christian ethics. And so I was getting ready to graduate and thinking about seminary. And so uh, my wife, fiance at the time, you know, we went and visited a few different seminaries. And um, I was, you know, pretty sure that that was the route I was going to take. Um, and, you know, just one day at school, I got in a conversation with a professor there, George Guthrie, who uh, was on the pastoral leadership team at uh, Northbrook at the time. And uh, he, you know, said to me, he said, hey, um, you know, do you know Russ Flaster? 
I said, yeah, I know Russ, actually. I said, you know, uh, I know him from back in high school. And, you know, Russ and I had seen each other over the years, occasionally in town. And, uh, you know, we hadn't necessarily kept up, but, but we had seen each other uh, every now and then. And so he said, well, you know, the Lord's been doing something really, you know, great in his life. And, uh, you know, he feels led to plant a multi-ethnic church, you know, here in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was something, you know, uh, that was dear to my heart because that's just all the— the way I always saw the church, you know, ultimately the, the true church would be a multi-ethnic expression. And so... Um, and you're kind of your life, too. Yeah, you know, definitely. My life played a big part of that. Not yeah. parents, but, I mean, uh, his wife is Asian, um, American, and so there's a, you know, it's kind of this ongoing... Yeah, it's just a part of ...multi-ethnic existence that's yeah. the martial yeah. way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, so... You know that uh, you know. I remember being a little kid, and you know, um, I went to uh, my family's church. My dad's family's church is a Black Baptist church, so I would go there in the morning, and then the evening times we primarily went to a, a predominantly white um, church, which was Northside Assembly. Mm-hmm. And so that was even growing up. I always got you know a mix of both those things, mm-hmm. and so that was a big part of who I was. You know, I was a one of the only black soccer players, you know, in high school on our club team as well. So I was very used to kind of um, being able to, to operate in both sides, on both sides of, of the spectrum. And so... Um, and you saw a glimpse of it out in Arizona, yeah, too. Mm-hmm, yeah. Actually in, on display yeah, at church. Yeah, I went to a multi-ethnic church in, in, um, in Arizona, um, the church I actually got saved in. So, mm-hmm. um, so, in fact, when I was there, I remember thinking... You know, this is what Book of Acts looked like. Mm-hmm. So when I came back to Jackson, you know, that was my desire. Missing. Well, yeah, my desire was to see that. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, I ended up going to uh, Northbrook uh, that very next Sunday. Where I had the same week. Elder it, by where, that yeah, time yeah. out there while I was even still teaching. And, right. So they helped us start the church actually. Okay. So even though the beginning of the church started um, just kind of conversations and a few families um, uh, from Northbrook. Uh, Matt and uh, them were a part of that from before we even had a service. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I went out and heard Russ preach at, um, at Northbrook, and um, he and I and our uh, wives end up getting dinner together uh, that same week. And, um, you know, I don't know if he feels this way, but I kind of sat down at the table and we started talking. And by the end of that conversation, I kind of realized that I'd never met anyone up to that point and really since then that I agreed with what church should look like, mm-hmm. you know, basically. And so more than I did with with him. And so um, so anyway, you know, we kind of started on that route. And then a few months later, we started having our first kind of services. Um, and Russ was, you know, leading music and uh, preaching and, and all that. And then um, here we are. Um, man, my goodness. I mean, ten from that time, almost yeah. Ten, yeah, 10 years down the road now from that time. The church and, is almost eight years old. Yeah, and Russ is still playing the music and preaching <laughs> <laughs> most Sundays. Well, so uh, there, there is okay. a lot that's changed in that ten years, yeah. you know. But, uh, but yeah, so that's pretty amazing that you know, uh, as most great ideas start, there's kind of conversations amongst friends, but mm-hmm. differences when people execute on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're sitting around a podcast that started that same way, and mm-hmm. um, right. we're running a business that started that that's same exactly way. That's exactly right. Um, now, one of those things is, is not as successful as the other two, but it, it, well, it's a good it's a good point that you bring up though, because as Matt mentioned, you know, I've had many conversations when we started the church. Uh, we wanted it to be 
more multi-ethnic from the, in the in the oh. starting like the core group, and that's when I realized how um, kind of ignorant and uh, uh, you know doe-eyed I had been yeah. about mm-hmm. the possibility of this. You know what I'm saying? Because we had mm-hmm. good friends from the school system that we would have over for dinner and uh, families of other ethnicities, and we would have wonderful conversations yeah. about the issues surrounding race and in the in the in the city, and um, and it just wouldn't. It wouldn't take. They'd be happy to help us, you know, but yeah. it was not something that they were willing to adjust their lives to. And I began to understand more of why that was. You know, I didn't have a healthy understanding of the historical importance of the black church, and especially in the South, mm-hmm. and uh, learned a lot through all of that. Uh, and learn to, you know, I mean, you know, white folks have changed churches like, <laughs> like, change like underwear, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, but, yeah. Uh, but we both went to the undergarment. Yeah, that's, 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 that's good. That's, that's good. Yeah, I don't know what it says about us, but you were much more appropriate than I was. So let me just let the record show. Or maybe I just changed my socks. <laughs> right. Uh, but I would say that Matt and Rachel, when we sat down with them, uh, you know, I, I, there's been a lot of conversations I've, I've walked out feeling, oh, well, this could go somewhere good. Mm-hmm. You know, this could mm-hmm. go somewhere. It could, could. Yeah. But I've had enough of them that didn't. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, it's kind of a guarded optimism. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But with Matt and Rachel, it was, uh, uh, man, it was it was an immediate connection. And I think that something that is, uh, and you know, of course, it ruined his life, and his <laughs> plans. And first, <laughs> of, first of it, you know, right? First of well, it. I mean, like you know, it was. I think what we've found out over the years, um, I think both of us have, is how much sacrifice mm. is required mm. um, mm. if you're going to do something like this, mm. um, which shouldn't really be that surprising, yeah. you know right. what I mean? When yeah. God calls you to do something, you know, it's going to require sacrifice. Yeah. But I think along the way, I think both of us assumed there's certain parts of it, or certain portions would be easier than it has been. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it, there were days and I'm, I'm sure this is true for us as well there are days that you kind of want to walk away from it yeah. uh, because it is so hard especially in those early years mm-hmm. um you know he did used to say uh very often he used to quote the statistic that i think you know like one in like 70 like you know uh or something like seven out of ten you know churches don't make it out of the first year you know mm-hmm. and so there you go yeah and then let alone you know multi-ethnic expressions of church in a place like jackson and so, uh, but then also, as he was made, made mention of, we also discovered culturally how difficult it, it can be. And I, I knew that firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people can assume, they can look at my family and, and to a certain degree, they can assume that this is easier for us. Uh, but there, you know, when I grew up in a predominantly black church experience, my wife grew up in a predominantly Asian church experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now kind of at that time kind of giving in more to a traditional a white American church experience mm-hmm. that was very difficult for both of us. Um, mm-hmm. But over the over time, what has had to happen in our church is as we have grown in, in uh, diversity at our church, we've tried to you know one of the things we said early on. Uh, Russ used to say this all the time, um, but we used to communicate it among the few of us as well. Is that um, essentially we want city to be the type of church where if you walk through the doors, you don't really know who it's for. Mm-hmm. But you, at the same time, as, as you're thinking, like, as your mind starts to think, who is this for? The other side of your brain starts thinking, this is for me. Right. Like, there's something about it that is kind of, um, you know, not really, you're not really sure who this is created for. Because I think, you know, as you go into most churches, 
you can walk in in the first five to ten seconds. You got to know exactly who yeah. this is for. Mm-hmm. You know what type of people this is for, based on the type of music you see, or the way they're dressed, or the you know the, the, the decoration room, of the room, or yeah. you know uh, the words that they that they use. You know, and, and and how they speak about even the Bible and other things. Mm-hmm. You kind of have a general idea of who it's for. And we never really wanted that to be the case of City. We always want people to walk in and kind of. At fir- again, at first glance to go, man, who is this for? But then after kind of sitting in it for a minute, for them quickly to move to, man, this is for me. Yeah, hopefully the hospitality would be yeah. there. You know what I'm saying? That would welcome anybody. And you don't realize how deeply um, your cultural identity of church, especially if you've grown up in the church, mm-hmm. becomes kind of the neutral. Yeah. Uh, uh, or what you have preserved yeah, yeah. as neutral. As neutral. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's yeah. been the big thing for me. And, I, and, I, and, and Matt, over the years... Um, Having been having more of a multi-ethnic kind of experience, you know, than really, uh, and and your wife even more so. I mean, tell a little bit about Rachel's. Uh, let's oh, sorry, let's got... let's go to a break. Okay, and I'm sorry. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back and talk some more about about City Fellowship and what what's going on, and and, and uh, we'll talk about what we want to talk about in the break sure. and plan out the next part. So so sitting between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is our Jackson home. And we're back with our Jackson home. I wanted to pick up with where I so rudely cut Matt off <laughs> on his story. So Matt, pick us up with what you were starting to say about your wife and her experience. Yeah, so um, my wife is Vietnamese. Um, her parents are Vietnamese. They both were born in Vietnam. Uh, and they came to America during the war. Uh, and so uh, came over to America, to the New Orleans area. Uh, and Rachel's dad, uh, you know, you know, became a Christian once he got here, uh, and then uh, went on to go to seminary, uh, and um, he has his doctorate and all that. But uh, his Rachel's mom is actually uh, her father was a minister in Vietnam, a Christian minister, which is really you know kind of mm-hmm. unusual. So anyway, her parents met here, got married. Rachel was born, uh, and when Rachel was about three, they went over on the mission field with uh, the International Mission Board. Uh, they went overseas and uh, were in several different locations over uh, a career of about uh, 27 years. And so, uh, you know, they were in Taiwan for a period of time, Hong Kong, um, and some other places that, you know, we can't really say uh, in a recording. But um, so Rachel, you know, being Vietnamese, her parents actually did most of their church planning work in Chinese culture. Um, and so, or, in, you know, in Taiwan, the Taiwanese culture. And so Rachel spoke Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese in her home and learned Vietnamese culture in her home. But at the same time, when she went to school or, or those type of places uh, in public, she typically learned Chinese culture mm-hmm. um, and spoke, you know, Mandarin. So she learned Mandarin in school and um, speaks Mandarin up until this day still very well. Um, but at the same time, her parents are technically American missionaries. Yeah. Um, and so... Just like you know, me kind of growing up in a very culturally diverse uh, background, Rachel, my wife, also kind of grew up in that. Yeah. And so what that means is when we come to uh, a place now that we call church, mm-hmm. we have very different assumptions that we're bringing with us. We have very different viewpoints and perspectives that we're bringing with us. And so as Russ made mention of a little earlier, uh, we can often come to church with the uh, kind of perspective that the way that I was brought up doing church, the songs that we sang, um, 
the way that the liturgy or the program of the day is set up, the way that works, all that is right. Mm -hmm. The way that we did it was right. Um, Whereas someone like Rachel and I, because our backgrounds to a certain degree were so mixed up when it came to church because we saw so many different cultural expressions, we never really brought that to the table necessarily. That being said, that doesn't mean that we haven't struggled with that. Yeah. Uh, we most certainly have. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always, at the same time, have been very open um, to what church, you know, capital C, should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to get at what is theological and what's a cultural expression yeah. of church is a very difficult thing for to really parse out. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's really difficult because a lot of things that you feel like are very theologically important are really just deep-seated culturally important important or even had a really important time in your life it just mm-hmm. these songs I can't let go of them because they're just they meant so much to me you know yeah. or whatever it is yeah. and, and so it's hard to differentiate between those things and I think for uh, me being um, you know my I'm, I'm half German half Irish there's nobody whiter than me you know I mean, there's a, um, I might push <laughs> but, but I uh, uh, you know I had a, had a I wouldn't even say I was really pushing for my agenda. It's just kind of what you feel like is normal. You know yes. what I'm saying? You put out there. So you, we came into the church and starting the church really under um, prepared, you know, for a, a lot of, and, and that's okay. I mean, you would never do anything if you were ready. You know what I'm saying? You're yep. never ready to do anything and have kids or start a business or any of those kind of things. You know, if you wait till you're ready, it's never going to happen. And so we often said, have joked that we jumped out of the plane and started building the parachute, you know, on the way down, you know, uh, and, and that, that's a painful way to, yeah. you know, you yeah. don't always survive, you know, yeah. and, and, I, and I feel lucky that we've gotten really honestly, I feel like we're getting to a point now where we probably should have been when we started the church mm-hmm. because, yeah. and a lot on this issue, because Matt has unfortunately had to be in the position of really having, we've had to have some, it's just hard to start a thing, you know what I'm saying? I'm not an entrepreneurial type. And so just getting in the business of starting a church and getting it just happening, um, I would get really kind of just entrenched in that. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of times when you're just tired and you kind of let if some other folks come along um, and, and, and if they can help, you know, that's great, you know, and you end up letting... See, vision, people just, with a new church especially, they, they import what they think the church should be, yeah. you know. And so keeping that vision of that multi-ethnic church vision at the front has been difficult. And Matt's had a big put in that role of kind of yanking back on the chain every now and again uh, over the over the years. Because I think, I felt like we were doing something by just talking about reconciliation mm-hmm. a lot. Reconciliation, and, 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 and I've just found that over time, that's a very amorphous term, and it mm-hmm. can mean a lot of things mm-hmm. to a lot of people mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, I mean, we are now in the process of really taking serious steps towards making it clear that we are trying to build a multi-ethnic church. Right. You see what I'm saying? The mm-hmm. difference there? We're yeah. not just people that are going to get together and whoever's interested to talk about these things or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we're really going to try to take some measurable steps. Yeah, we, we saw over the course of time that, you know, um, there are a lot of, I think there's a lot of churches that talk about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, organizations and, you know, uh, nonprofits and all those type of things that, you know, reconciliation is a, is a trending topic. And what we've discovered, I think really even more so over these last couple of years with kind of the culture of America and everything that's mm-hmm. been happening, everything that's in the news and, and all those type of things concerning this issue, 
we've seen how I think to a certain degree how much more important it is to be people who are doing something yeah um, and who are are actually affecting change we always wanted that don't get me wrong no, I don't, I don't sure. think there was any a time there was never a time in our church where we were ever consciously thinking oh you know this no, is but just part of attraction right yeah. when it's just a thing out yeah. there you know you're not really and, it, and it allows steps, for you know? for uh, you know when it's kind of like that when it's an idea out there well any, you know as Russ said anybody can import into that idea what they think that means mm-hmm. yeah. so we, to a certain degree there was a time in our church where it really felt it. like yes exactly yes. there was a time where it felt felt as though it was not as well defined mm-hmm. and so yeah. it really could be anything you yeah. know um, and so yeah and, and part of that was just because I came out of the, of the school system I was like you know what I'm upset about that too and I don't <laughs> like that either and you know what I'm saying there's just I mean there's a multi, there's a thousand things that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know are we uh, doing urban ministry with yeah. quotes are we doing cities yep stuff are we yeah. doing uh, multi-ethnic what are we you know I don't think we were nearly clear enough about that you know and and the truth of the matter is to say yes to something means you say no to a lot of good things yeah. and and we are in the process now of, of, of really kind of sharpening that and deepening that and making it something that's very very clear for us because it's just something that also just creeps over time without clarity we yeah. you know we have this notion of the melting pot in America which of course is a fallacy I mean we're not um, it, we we you don't melt people down into some gray mass and that call that you know what I'm saying that's not that's uh, that's not what we want yeah. so it's okay well maybe it's more like a salad bowl you know what I'm saying you can see the tomato you can see the uh, the cucumber and everything is in there together but you can see it Mm-hmm. But the problem is what we end up doing is putting ranch dressing over the top of everything until it's all white again. You know what I'm saying? And, then, uh, uh, and, and, and so there's just this sense that, you know, people, there's always this struggle to, you know, kind of keep that vision there because it costs everybody something. Yeah, you You've got to work. give. Church yeah. cannot be perfectly what yeah. anybody in the room wants it perfectly yeah. to be if they could have everything their way. You yeah. see what I'm saying? So we, so we got used to using, you know, terminology at church. Like, you know, we need to, we always were encouraging our people to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, never, if, you know, this even came up to a certain degree yesterday. Um, if you're ever fully satisfied well, that probably is an indicator that something's wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so, like, it, it should be really normal for someone to come into our setting and to a certain degree feel a little uncomfortable, yet at the same time feel as though, you know, this is a place that where they belong, that, that, you know, we're hospitable enough. And that hospitality is not just, you know, how we typically would view it as, you know, being greeted at the door. It is that. Mm-hmm. But we also want that hospitality to be, in how the music is played, honoring, in how you know, honoring, honoring people, people, showing honor, yeah. honor to people, yeah. um, in a lot of different other ways, mm-hmm. we want people to feel hospitable. We want, in other words, we want them to feel as though um, they're cared for, um, and so recognized. They're, they're recognized, yeah. you know, that they're not overlooked because that's the reality. I think you know, ultimately, from Russ's experience in in the school system, my experience growing up in Jackson, I think one of the key problems with our community is that there are large chunks of people who just feel forgotten. And I'm not even just talking about, you know, um, a, you know the people who, who are living in poverty over on this part of town. It, they do as well. And that's a, that is a hugely important thing that the church honestly should be doing. I mean, that, that area, you know, that situation should not exist. It exists because the church not, is not doing its, its job. Um, but the reality, what I'm talking about is there are people... In, from all walks of life who feel forgotten, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who yeah. feel overlooked, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and to a certain degree, again, we really shouldn't be that surprised by that because of the type of culture we live in. Yeah. You know, uh, which social media is the driving force of so much. And so, you know, the most important thing is how many likes did you get on this? Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when you don't get many likes? So um, people don't like you. Yeah, people don't like you, obviously. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, so it, it's part of our culture, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And so, you know, we are trying to be a people who say to others, you know, in God, um, you're not overlooked, you're not forgotten. Yes. And that's why it's a, that's why I feel like it's, a, it's such an important indicator or... Um, Display of the gospel. So I think God get. I don't. Did you? Do you guys have to do uh, read Shakespeare in high school? Oh you know? yeah. So so you read it, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. You can't follow <laughs> who the characters are. You don't. You know what I'm saying? You can't remember what the story is. But if you watch that same play, be put on. You know, be mm-hmm. put on. You're laughing at all the jokes. You don't. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. you, you, you just get it. Mm-hmm. You still may not walk out of there and remember who's Mercutio and who's whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, even though the language is kind of hard, you understand the story. Yeah. And I think that um, this, the gospel is one of those things that is meant to be seen in order to be understood. It's not just a... Um, um, it is a set of propositions that we intellectually you know, agree with or don't agree yeah. with. But if that's all it is, mm-hmm. then it, it is half gospel at best, and it doesn't have its power. It has to be something that is has seen, but all, as well as heard. And so, when we talk about marriage as being an example of Christ, you know, in His love for the church, I think that's mm-hmm. one of those things. It's like God gives us a physical example. Uh, that's that's an, that's uh, important because we need to see it on display to understand it. And so, children that grow up in a, with parents that um, even if they're not Christians, but they love each other in, in, in a way that represents Christ the church, mm-hmm. they, when they hear the gospel, there's an echo there that they understand. And I think that the church has given that same thing to say, what the call of the gospel is to be reconciled to God. That's what, that's what Corinthians, you know, Paul's argument is, Corinthians saying, we are ambassadors, be reconciled to God, you know. Uh, and, and, and therefore, he's, it's important to him that the churches that are preaching that um, have... Uh, a, a situation within them that supports that statement that people that are that, are, that have been reconciled to God are people that are going to be reconciled with each other, you know. And on that note, um, so we've talked a lot about how you know you went from this this dream state ten years ago to mm-hmm. action eight years ago, and I mean even over my five years at City, I've seen tons of growth in the people and the ministry. So. Talk to us a little bit about where you are now as far as how you have put your hands to the plow and like have been able to do physical things to change the situation that you see um, and what you guys plan to do in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, as we kind of mentioned a few moments ago, um, we're kind of finally getting to a point where um, the vision is, is being well-defined and, and being, being made clear. Mm. And so I think... Um, over the years, we tried a lot of different things, honestly, you know, in, in the early years. Um, we had a city men's house early on that um, was for men, for homeless men. Um, we tried that, you know, we tried that model and housed a few men for uh, a few months, and it actually ended horribly. <laughs> it didn't go well at all. Um, and, you know, we, we tried a, a number of other things as well, but we've also collaborated with a lot of with uh, young, churches, life, and young, young life, life at yeah. the church, and then we were trying to do some youth things, and 
and uh, lots of things we hoped and a long list of, of uh, you know, failures. It's maybe yeah, strong, I mean, just, but, you know, I mean. It, it wasn't the right time, I think. Yeah, and it certainly didn't do what, what we had hoped, but um, uh, I think that even just kind of um, being purposeful now and, and thinking in terms of, uh, I, I think it's just there is a learning process of learning how much of what you bring to the table is culturally captive. And so, uh, especially as the pastor of the church, um, uh, how much of my own personality, my own kind of, you know, all that I bring to the table and kind of people just swallow it. You know what I'm saying? They just mm-hmm. do. So a big part of that was Matt's um, being brought on as a as a elder of the church, of which we we have elders and deacons, and we the way we understand elders to be the pastors of the church. Mm-hmm. So as a pastor in our church, you know, I think we want to be conscientious of starting to be very careful about um, uh, leadership, who's on the stage, um, who holds a microphone and says stuff, and you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, and yeah. and um, and uh, uh, so modeling. You know some of those things uh, but uh, what we um, are coming to now is to see these different environments that we have in the church where it's a Sunday service a small group meeting a ministry that you might serve on in the church and then lastly your own personal life away from the church um, we want to see all four of those you know kind of environments for all of our people growing and us becoming people that are more missional and more multi-ethnic you know, so we are very concerned with, uh, and we want to be clear about this, that um, that we we believe the, the the point is that we are reconciled to God. We don't want to be a multi-ethnic church for its own sake. Right. You know, we uh, we believe that this is uh, uh, what God uses to demonstrate and point people uh, towards the gospel reconciliation with God. You know, so um, so that's. I think we, I think like if we're really truly honest, um, I think it should be said that. I think there are, I think what we have found out in the last, you know, eight to ten years, there are ways that we could create a multi-ethnic church. Yes. And not care about the gospel yes. and not really mm-hmm. preach the gospel at all. Yeah. I, in fact, I think we could there's ways that we could preach that, you know, that other message and be probably two or three times larger than what we yeah. are and all those type of things. Mm-hmm. But what we've been committed to from day one and what we're still committed to today is to have a gospel-saturated church, you know, mm-hmm. a church that you know, preaches the Bible. But part of that outflow of preaching the Bible faithfully mm-hmm. is a multi-ethnic church. I mean, that is what we actually see, as we've said, you know, that's the church that's on display. That's the church that's on display. Yeah. So, we're, so we actually just see ourselves as being biblically faithful. We yeah. pray, we pray, we pray. Yeah. Not, you know, yes. And that's yeah, not to say that... Uh, uh, um, yeah, we're we're probably going a little bit. You can, that, yeah, that's you not have, to say. You have opened up the can. <laughs> that's not to say that any church that is not multi-ethnic yes. is not biblically faithful. That's not yeah. the point. Right. But rather, um, at least being open to mm-hmm. you know the fact that God is drawing people from all different walks of life into your into your church. So are you welcoming yeah. of, yeah. that, of, of that truth? And you're gonna have to be purposeful about that yeah it's not just going to happen and that's the thing that i think because we're sinners man we live in a sinful yeah. you know world that's racked by sin mm-hmm. and i hear christians all the time saying that if you just preach the gospel you know whoever comes comes and it, you know people it'll just happen yeah. you know and i mean we don't say that about anything else mm-hmm. you know we don't say oh you'll just you know what if you just preach the gospel people will stop looking at porn or people will stop having adultery people will stop being ugly to each other no, you gotta you gotta be specific. You gotta yeah. take steps. You gotta you know what I mean. Yeah. You gotta uh, do for some reason with race. We just and I don't know why we think it's just going to 
uh, you know, if we all love Jesus, it's just going to take care of itself. And, 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 you know, the gospel is what cures that. Yeah. But it's going to take uh, our part of that uh, is, is being right. willing to, to, as the Bible says, do the work that he puts in us. You know what I'm saying? And that even provides the strength for it. Yeah. Uh, but we have to be willing to do the, the work, you know? Well, we're glad that you guys have been willing to do that and for sharing your story. Uh, something I was going to mention is a big part of City's kind of way that they do this is through Unity Services, which we could talk about forever, but um, we've done a podcast Kevin has in the past mm-hmm. with uh, the pastors of Historic First Baptist and First Baptist Church, so you guys should listen to those if you want to learn more about that. Um, but thank you guys so much for coming today and for telling your story. On January 31st, which this will probably air after that is over, though, we are having our first unity service with an all-Spanish-speaking church, Vilas de Agua uh, Viva, out of, out of there, actually, and, um, um, just outside of town here. Um, so that's another example of, like, you know, I mm-hmm. think for us, it's been, it's been black and white. You know, it's been kind of trying to bridge that. Uh, divide, you know, but so this is going to be a multilingual, you yeah. know, church, uh, and so this is a new challenge. For mm. us, you know, uh, a lot of fun. If if people wanted to join City Fellowship on a Sunday, when uh, the big time, the big thing is when with you guys, <laughs> when and where would they do that? They listen to it in the next six months. Right. <laughs> <Five minutes. laughs> then it'll be four p.m. on Sunday afternoons. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Matt and Russ, thank you for helping to make Jackson a better place, and thank you for choosing to make it home. And that is the end of our Our Jackson Home podcast, and we will talk to you later. Today's podcast was hosted by Katie Howerton and Kevin Adelsberger. It was recorded and edited by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit the website, www.atthecoe.com. And to find out more about how amazing Jackson is, visit rjacksonhome.com.